From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're listening to the Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, welcome aboard, everyone. It's four minutes past the hour of 9 p.m. on Tuesday night here on the east coast of the United States of America. And um, you know what day and time it is wherever you are listening to the Steve Malzberg Show. Um, We have a lot to get to. Noah Rothman of National Review will join us in a little while. Uh, It was a big day up on Capitol Hill as the um, president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, uh, made an appeal, met with congressional leaders looking for more money. He wants that $60 billion that the president has proposed in his lump sum package, which would send $60 billion to Ukraine, about $14 billion to Israel, um, seven to Taiwan, uh, and um, and I forget, eight, six, five, whatever, to the border, our border. Gee, our border, what a unique concept that is. Problem is, um, it didn't satisfy the naysayers. And the naysayers are the Republicans in the House. And this is not going to get done until Joe Biden and the Democrats change immigration procedure, immigration law, and stop the flood of illegal aliens coming into our country, protect our border first and foremost, and then you'll get your vote on Ukraine. There's also other problems with Ukrainian aid, uh, according to uh, several members uh, uh, in Congress on on the Republican side, the Speaker of the House as well. What's the end game? What are you going to do? do? You're going to beat Putin? Yeah, Biden basically said again today, we're going to beat Putin. You're not going to beat Putin. Okay, this is an endless funding nightmare, an endless war nightmare. Sit down, have talks, settle it, and let's be done with it. Okay, Um, but it's not okay because uh, that's not what Joe Biden and the Democrats envision. And let me just uh, give you some polling numbers, if I may, Uh, a brand new A brand new Financial Times poll out today or yesterday shows that uh, 48 percent of Americans think we're spending too much on Ukraine. Forty eight think we're spending too much. Twenty seven percent said we have it just right. And 11 percent said we're not spending enough. So it's 38 percent say we're not spending enough or we have it right. And 48% say we're spending too much. That doesn't total 100. I guess the other people said, what's Ukraine? Don't laugh. We had a presidential candidate running and and he sat there and he and we were talking about they were talking about Aleppo in Syria. And there was a big, you know, big deal at the time. And he said, what's Aleppo? Please. Anything's possible, right? Um, anyway. And there's an in that poll, 65 percent of Republicans say we're spending too much on Ukraine, about half of independents. And it's the Democrats who say we're not spending enough. Um, a CNN poll, a CNN poll. Uh, should Congress authorize any more money for Ukraine? Fifty five percent of Americans say no. Forty five percent, I guess, say yes. That totals 100 percent. They're speaking to a much higher caliber of person. They actually 
theoretically, know what Ukraine is. Amazing, isn't it? By the way, it comes back to Seinfeld. You remember the Seinfeld where Kramer and uh, uh, Newman are playing this world domination board game and they take it on the subway, which is ridiculous. And they're playing it on the subway. And uh, Kramer says, oh, you just took Ukraine. Ukraine is, you know, they're, they're, they're weak. And a guy's standing there waiting and hears him and goes, you say Ukraine weak? I'm from Ukraine. And he balance, pounds the board. <laughs> anyway, it all comes back to Seinfeld, like I always say. So that that's the poll numbers. Now, uh, Joe Biden uh, held a joint press conference. Uh, no smoking pot, but it was a joint press conference nonetheless. But I'm bummed with um, Zelensky at the uh, White House uh, right after they had their their meetings and all that. First, he met with Congress and he sat in the Oval Office with Biden. Then he met with Biden and then they had the uh, side by side. So let's hear a little bit of what Biden had to say. Same old crap, same delusional nonsense. Uh, and by the way, he reads his answers. I'll, I, I, there are some more than others where he especially reads his answers uh and I'll, I'll make sure to point those out to you but uh, keep keep a look if you're watching on on uh the video watch him it's it's he turns the pages like to get to this the, the question or maybe the questions are all asked in advance and he has the answer question question one question two i don't doubt that for one minute because you're going to see he reads the answers unreal okay here is cut 149 Putin is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must, we must, we must prove him wrong. The United States and Congress must, as I asked last week, and this, it's stunning that we've gotten to this point. You know, we need to fully appreciate, fully appreciate how it's wrong, how this is being viewed around the world and being used by Russia. Russian loyalists in Moscow celebrated when, when Republicans voted to block Ukraine's aid last week. The host of a Kremlin-run show literally said, and I quote, well done, Republicans. That's good for us, end of quote. Let me say that again. This host of a Kremlin-run show said, well done, Republicans. That's good for us. That's a Russian speaking. If you're being celebrated by Russian propagandists, it might be time to rethink what you're doing. Yeah, he's he's reading, as you could see. Um, what do you expect the people, the, uh, the host of a Russian TV show to say? Of course, it's good for them if they I mean, but that, that you don't run foreign policy in this country based on what TV pundits in another country say. I mean, are you kidding me? It sounds like you're watching. You say the whole world's watching us. Sounds like you, of course, not him. He's reading, but his people are watching Russia television. That's what it sounds like. Okay. And, and, ooh, did you hear what they said? So we better change what we're doing because they're saying it's good for Putin. Oh, well, in that case, yes, give them the money. Really? Uh, here's cut 150. History. History will judge harshly those who turn their back on freedom's cause. Today, Ukraine's freedom is on the line. But if we don't stop Putin, it will endanger the freedom of everyone almost everywhere. Putin will keep going, and would-be aggressors everywhere will be emboldened to try to take what they can 
by force. Mr. President, I'll not walk away from Ukraine, and neither will the American people. A clear bipartisan majority of people across the United States and in Congress support your country. They understand, as I do, that Ukraine's success and its ability to deter aggression in the future are vital to security for the world at large. Again, the polls don't indicate what he's saying. While, while people may support Ukraine, certainly, and it might be an overwhelming majority in this country of people, I'm not talking about Congress right now, they don't support the endless checks and the endless military hardware. They don't support what there's no accountability. If the end game is that Ukraine is going to defeat Vladimir Putin and Russia. I look, I'm not a military expert, but that seems a little far fetched. I'm sorry. And corruption. All you hear are accusations of Ukraine being corrupt. They were corrupt before. They're corrupt now. Where's this money going? Who's accountable? How much more are they going to need? What's the end game? Again, what do they hope to accomplish? Beat Putin? How about we get everybody to the table, as Trump would do, and talk and end this? Oh, no, because then Putin will then go into Poland and he'll go into Germany. Really? Really? And start World War III. And, and, and us continuing to send checks to Ukraine is going to deter China from attacking Taiwan? We're supposed to believe this nonsense? It's incredible. Here's 151. There is a strong bipartisan political support for Ukraine. Small number of Republicans who don't want to support Ukraine, but uh, they don't speak for the majority, even the Republicans, in my view. We're in negotiations <clears throat> to get funding we need, not to promise... Uh, not not making promises, but hopeful we can get there. I think we can. And you're right. The world's watching what we do. Would you send a horrible message to an aggressor and allies if we walked away at this time? And it would hurt our national security. You see him reading? He's reading. He's reading. What president other than Joe Biden have you ever seen at a press conference? I don't mean reading a, a, a quoting something he has to quote or a technical reading every answer from the book. And he does it all the time. And everybody's everybody's watching and uh, they send a terrible message. If we go, I mean, give me a break. Really? Might as well be Jean-Corine Jean-Pierre. The self-proclaimed historic figure, first black lesbian, uh, uh, black, yeah, black lesbian uh, press secretary up there doing it. She could read, too, just as well. OK, um, one more. And this is a good one. This is a question. And then the answer doesn't cut it. And he's wrong again about what he what, what he was reading about um, even mo majority of Republicans. Uh, but no, they don't. Not according to the latest polls. Sorry, Joe, again. Here's cut 152. At what point do you say to Ukraine, as a friend, uh, that it is perhaps time to start looking at peace talks? Let's put this in perspective. Remember how far Ukraine has come. Russia's failed, failed thus far in trying to erase Ukraine from the map and uh, subsume it into Russia. Ukraine has taken back more than 50% of its territory seized since February of 22. 
and it's pushed back Russian, the Russian Navy so Ukraine can export grain and steel to the world through the Black Sea. And thanks to the incredible courage of the Ukrainian people and the bipartisan support from our Congress, but it's not just American support. There are more than 50 countries, 50 countries helping Ukraine with military, economic, and humanitarian assistance. 50. The burden sharing, the U.S. has put up $75 billion, and our allies and partners have put up $100 billion. And more than 90% of our security assistance to Ukraine is being spent in the United States to provide weapons for Ukraine and replenish our stockpiles and build our industrial base. We need to ensure Putin continues to fail in Ukraine and Ukraine to succeed. And the best way for that to do that is to pass the supplement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see him. It was that the path you see he turns to he's wiping his mouth, wiping his mouth, finished reading. He finished reading. And then he turns, wipes his mouth. At least he turned in the right direction. I mean, we should all be celebrating that. He could have turned in the other direction and then looked and then turned around again and then found Zelensky. He knew where he was. That's a big accomplishment. I'm sure, Joe Scarborough is going to be talking about that tomorrow. How, wow, that Joe Biden, he's something, huh? He turned the right way. He knew Zelensky was standing next to him on his right side. Big, good Joe. He reads. He's reading the answers. He's reading. There's no passion. There's no no thought process. He's reading it. And by the way, so we've given them seventy five billion, and now he wants to almost double it and make it one hundred and thirty five billion dollars. And all I hear is for decades, for decades, for decades. Oh, Israel! We give too much to Israel. We give them three billion a year. By the way, we give Egypt half of that. And other Arab countries, too. So it probably evens out, if not goes more in the Arab country favor. But $3 billion a year. Israel's been around 75 years. I don't know that we've been giving them that from the beginning, but let's say they were. Okay, so three times 75, uh, 150, 225. 225 over 75 years, theoretically, right? 225 over 75 years. He wants to make it 130 in two years for Ukraine. No, Israel, Israel, Israel. I don't hear anybody saying that there's got to be preconditions on this uh, on this military or, or any or, or the financial aid, what it could be used for, making sure it doesn't hurt civilians, blah, 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 blah. Nope. Nope. Not that that doesn't apply here. That only applies to Israel. Can, can you imagine? And I've said this for decades. Can you imagine? If CNN and Al Jazeera and everybody else had existed during World War II, oh, and there were now, now Wolf Blitzer, and there are there are now 2.3 million dead as as uh, Allied forces are bombing this city and that city and all all the humanity. How could this continue? Could you imagine it? Like I said over and over, I wouldn't be here. And this country would all be speaking German. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know. OK, so I told you that they also sat side by side, Zelensky and Biden. Now, I don't know if that was in the White House or in the fake 
Oval Office. It, I should say, I don't know if it was in the Oval Office, in the White House, or in the fake Oval Office, because, you know, across the street or wherever, remember that, well, we've talked about it over the year and a half I've been here. Um, they have a fake Oval Office. Why? I have no idea. But it's got a desk, it's got seats, it's, but it's fake. It's just like a TV set. Okay? Um, not not a green screen, with a, which they should do. But no, it's a, it's a TV set made to look like the Oval Office. Again, why? I can't even begin to imagine. Um, I can't. So, but here they were sitting somewhere that looked like the Oval Office anyway, and just watch. Uh, they're shouting questions to Biden about aid. And then when he's finished, first he tells them to be quiet. And then when he's finished, he just sits there, smiles and stares. It's so, this man is creepy. Again, God bless him for his age and what anything that's wrong with him. But he's creepy. He's he's out of it. It 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 it's just not normal. It's scary to think that this man. Well, he's not really in charge. Um, but imagine. I mean, you know, they talk about Trump again. Oh, he said Obama. He meant Biden. He said Obama. Oh, get him out of office. He can't do it. Oh, he had to hold his arm up to. <laughs> Uh, and, and this this guy, could you imagine if Trump read everything and sat there like you're going to see Biden in a second with the, I mean, oh my God. So here it is. Here's uh, enjoy this. Here is cut one forty. Thank you. Before the press, before the press, hey, whoa, 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 hush up a second, okay? Got one more thing to say. I've just signed another two hundred million dollar drawdown for the Department of Defense for Ukraine. And that'll be coming quickly. Thank you. Thank you. President Biden, are you mad at me? President Biden, are you mad at me? President Biden, are you mad at me? President just weird it's just so weird the whole thing is so weird i mean there's no way really is there any way this guy's gonna run again i mean can you imagine what would you bet any amount of money on anything that's going to happen with in the next between now and election day would you bet any amount of money on who the candidate will be on the democrat side even I mean, looks like a pretty good shot. It would be Trump on the Republican side, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, would you would you bet on it? Would you bet big time money on it? I mean, I, I, I just I can't picture this guy running again. I believe Obama's pulling the strings. They have a plan. And whatever that plan is, whether it's for him to drop out after the holiday, somehow Gavin Newsom gets in. I don't know how late it is to get on the ballot or if they're going to wait to the convention and decide there. And then, of course, Michelle Obama comes swooping in. Michelle Obama. I don't know if you heard about the movie, the Netflix movie that her and her husband, you know, they have this big deal with Netflix, multi-million dollar Netflix deal. And there's a movie that Barack Obama and I think Michelle were consultants on script storyline everything it's like about the armageddon the end of the world julia roberts is in it uh we'll talk about it at length more but um and in it 
as the world's collapsing and there's this black couple in bed and, you know, there's stars in the movie. And she says, I believe, to the husband, uh, the black wife to the black husband, you know, whatever you do, blah, blah, blah. Don't trust white people. Don't trust white people. That's Barack Obama. Oh, that's Michelle Obama. That's who they are. That's who they are. Imagine okay signing off, maybe even writing it, maybe even putting it in the movie. Don't trust white people. It's where we are in this country. It's where we are in this country. Okay, folks, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We got the great Noah Rothman, and we'll talk about a little bit of everything. Uh, right here, Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. The human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Steve Malsberg, and we welcome in, uh, welcome back to the show, Noah Rothman, senior writer at National Review uh, and uh, also the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. Noah, welcome back, my friend. Happy, happy Hanukkah. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and yours. You know, it's interesting. I know somebody who over the weekend uh, went to see Adam Sandler in Wichita, Kansas, um, uh, perform. And while many in the crowd, uh, which was a big, big, big venue about the size of uh, Prudential Center in New Jersey, um, many in the crowd were, were saying, hey, sing the Hanukkah song. And he like started the first couple of lines. Never did the Hanukkah song. 
I mean, uh-huh. so th- th- this was th- this concert was for 16 years old and up. It was full of sex jokes, like almost constant nonstop. I can't even imagine sitting there through it, to be honest. But what got me was and I'm wondering, I hope he's not bowing to some kind of pressure because he, how could you not sing it when that's what your really trademark is? And it's Hanukkah, you know, so I hope he's not bowing. Yeah, I I hope so, too. I, I kind of don't think so, just because I saw him publicize that on Twitter a few days ago. Um, so it was recently. It was this season. So I don't think oh, that's the Hanukkah song. The case. Okay, OK. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's but- kind of shocking that it's still popular, given it's like, what, 25 years old. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. So let's let's get on just uh, your take on um, where we are with um this package and 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 Biden villainizing the Republicans and history will judge the Republicans for favoring Putin. And, you know, I, I understand certainly the blank check aspect that you can't just keep giving when the when when there's no goal stated except today by Biden and again, uh, defeat Putin. I mean, I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Number one and number two, the border. The border is is if it was ever bad, it's worse than ever. One day last week, they said 12,000 illegals came across it. 12,000 in a day. We don't know who these people are coming in, where they're going, what they're doing, if they're sick, if they're criminals. I mean, and and Biden. Oh, yeah, we have money in this uh, this bud, this proposal for border security it's not it's for more judges uh more legal stuff maybe a few border patrol but not to crack down so i don't see i don't see it happening because i don't think the house is going to bend one one bit it's really hard to judge i don't think it's going to happen either because congress's foremost priority is getting out of town on friday They've made that clear. (laughs) Their utmost priority, their strategic goal, everything they're working towards is shutting things down on the 15th. And it's just not enough time to to craft legislation that will pass the House and the Senate in that interim. Uh, And that, I think, is an absolute tragedy. I think it's a strategic mistake for the United States. I think it's politically foolish on the part of both Republicans and Democrats, because all from all intents and purposes, everybody wants a deal, the exception being the fringes on both ends of the political spectrum. But the middle, the majorities of both parties want a deal. What they can't get to is something that will satisfy all the parties involved. And I think if they had another week, they would get there, but they haven't given themselves the time. It's foolish for Republicans for two reasons. One, it's strategically foolish. Uh, the notion that we have achieved nothing is betrayed by the news that was declassified smartly by the Biden administration today, that over the course of this war, this two roughly two years of conflict, about 90 percent of, of Russia's battle ready forces that are committed to the to the campaign in February of 2022 have been destroyed. They're taken off the battlefield. That's good news for us strategically. Politically, it's foolish for uh, the for Republicans to give Joe Biden the talking point that you said he wants, that he retails all the time, which is to blame whatever battlefield setbacks setbacks uh, occur in, in, in Ukraine on Republicans when it is the Biden administration that's been throttling lethal aid to this country over the course of the last two years. They ask for a platform and Biden hems and haws and says, I can't, well, maybe I can, and eventually gives in only well after the point at which it would have been tactically effective. Republicans shouldn't give him the out that he does not deserve. You're right when it comes to the border stuff, though, and Republicans have been smart to kind of tether border security to the prosecution of Ukraine's war, Israel's war, two wars of defense, uh, because it is a national security issue to a degree. 
a lot of what Republicans want are changes to statute. So it's not necessarily about border security, but about the pull factors that bring people here, uh, asylum seeking statute and uh, whether how long migrants can remain in the United States before they have their day in court, as you said, uh, procedural stuff, not necessarily border security. Nevertheless, the Democrats are dragging their heels here while being kind of coy about it. They're saying, oh, we're willing to compromise, but really very vague about what. And when they do make it explicit, it's only about asylum seeking. So everybody's talking about out of both sides of their mouths here. And it's scuttling the prospect of a deal that everybody says they want, that Americans would find very popular and, and support and the president needs and the Senate needs and the House needs and they can't get to yes. It's one of the most frustrating aspects of government. Nothing happens except on a deadline. And even when we get close to the deadline, you get the works get gummed up in particular by the fringes of both parties coalitions who are maximalist on whatever the issue is and then the compromise that everybody wants just never materializes it frustrates me to to no end let me let me shift gears for a second here and stick to the republicans and uh kevin mccarthy said something uh, the other day at this new york times uh, um forum um and and it it, it kind of was a window into maybe it's just me, but a Kevin McCarthy that I never really saw before. And now that he's uh, you know unfettered and free and leaving, and he could say these things, but uh, I was a little shocked. I wonder how you see it. Like, could we do uh, cut one thirty two? I look over at the Democrats and they stand up. They look like America. We stand up. We look like the most restrictive country club in America. And I decide then either I am going to be the leader of a declining end of a party or I have to change the opportunity in this party. So I embrace in something else. Okay. since that time, we've elected the most women Republicans, the most minority Republicans ever to the House. But to do so. I'm going to have to ruffle feathers. So for a Republican woman or Republican minority to win, the the November election is not their tough election. It's the primary. So what I do is I would engage in primaries. And I would help. And sometimes you lose some, sometimes you have problems. I mean, I, I know that he, you know, he 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 was proud of the fact that uh, that there were different, uh, you know, more women in and blah, blah, blah. But to say you look at them, they look like America. That just that phrase is like that's one of the things, in my opinion, that's wrong with this country. You know, Harvard may look like America in the president's office and in the hierarchy. And look at the mess we're in and and judicial nominees who can't answer questions about the Constitution uh, at hearings may look like America. I mean, I don't have to read you the the list, uh, but were you as shocked as I was to hear him put it that way? Yeah, I think that was really kind of crass and sordid, not because the sentiment is something I disagree with. I don't. But because the language that he used in particular is um, it's evocative of democratic rhetorical themes in a way that is almost apologetic like he's he's on something of a of a uh, a pursuit a tour in pursuit of atonement um an atonement for what exactly my friend and colleague michael brandon doherty at national review highlighted this as well and other comments that for example um mccarthy gave to cbs news where he talked about donald trump's rhetorical themes and how america doesn't really need it doesn't want a retribution election tisk tisking 
Donald Trump now from the safety of his forthcoming retirement. And he finds that repugnant because yeah. it's an attack, an attack on the Republican voters you presume to represent. And then once you're liberated from that obligation, oh, you can say whatever you want. And it turns out you don't actually like them very much, do you? You kind of look down on them. And I agree with that sentiment, though, for different reasons. I think that kind of condescension is also on display if you're occupying that office and you hold these feelings and sentiments and you don't express them because you don't feel like your voters can take it because they feel like they would reject it and reject you in the process. That's a form of condescension too. That's contempt for your voters too. If you really don't believe that Donald Trump's language about retribution is appropriate, or the Republican party is not welcoming to minority voters, which I don't, I don't subscribe to, but if that's your view, you have an obligation to speak out and right. say that and be honest with your voters. If you're not honest with your voters, right. you're not honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it really threw me. And I agree with your your analysis. Totally. We're talking to Noah Rothman of National Review here on the Steve Malzberg show. Uh, let's go to Dick Durbin because we were talking about Im illegal immigration and Dick Durbin has the answer. He has the solution. Uh, here's cut 133. Yes, we need order at the border. Yes, we need to have changes in the laws that reflect the reality of the overwhelming numbers from all over the world who are coming to our, our shores and our border. But there is also an incredible demand for legal immigration into this country even now. The presiding officer, my colleague from the state of Illinois, has legislation which addresses one aspect of that. Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you are an undocumented person in this country and you can pass the physical and the required test, background test, the like, you can serve in our military, and if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Do we need that? Do you know what the recruiting numbers are at the Army and the Navy and the Air Force? They can't reach their quotas each month. They can't find enough people to join our military forces. And there are those who are undocumented who want the chance to serve and risk their lives for this country. Should we give them the chance? I think we should. First of all, I don't know where he gets that there are those who want to serve. I mean, I don't know what percentage or what numbers or where he gets his facts from, but let's put that aside. How do you, just the whole concept to me seems wrong. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you'll disagree. Um, but first of all, we don't know who these people are. If it's a matter of answering a few questions to quote unquote pass a test, somebody with nefarious intent could certainly study those questions and, and get them right and then get in there. I mean, I, I, foreign governments could send people. I mean, it, it just seems to be opening up a whole dangerous front. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, possible. I mean, there would be risks, but I, I suspect those would be um, cases on the margins. Um, in my experience, and it's purely anecdotal, there's probably social science to back this up, but migrants to America on a citizenship track, on a green card track to citizenship, are as or more patriotic than native-born Americans. They act, they do understand civics more so, perhaps, than, than a lot of people who come through our education system, and they love this country. So I wouldn't be afraid of that necessarily, per se. I think he's all over the map here, though, Senator Durbin, um, insofar as I've researched it. The recruiting targets that were missing, which are actually quite terrifying, especially given the deteriorating threat environment abroad, um, have a lot to do with the fact that service members are no longer directing their children to the branches. And that's the right. primary. Wokeism. 
And that's the primary recruiting mechanism. And it's, yes, it has a lot to do, everything to do with the risks assumed by individual men and women in the services who run afoul of the progressive social engineering that, you know, lies, sets these tripwires in front of them in their careers that they don't know how to navigate because they're unnavigable. They haven't even been acknowledged. A lot of times they're retroactively applied. Uh, so right. that's probably a bigger driver of recruitment problems than than the notion here that you know we just don't have Americans who are willing to serve. This is a this isn't an unreasonable position on their part. And when it comes to just labor in general, this you know the the economy is a devilish problem because we do have a labor shortage, a, a profound one. But we also have a declining inflation rate that is only going to get better. Price stability will only restore when wages go up. So we need wages to keep going up. And if you increase the labor supply, wages don't keep going up and then the inflation gets worse. So it's, it's, it's a devilish problem. But the senator is all over the map when it comes to his solutions to this problem. A simpler solution yeah. perhaps would be to start stop going to war with the American electorate, with American voters, with American men and women who want to serve their country. Yeah, no, absolutely true. All right, let me let me finish up with something that I could have easily have started with if it were doing order of importance. And that is a piece that you wrote. Um, by the way, you wrote the cover story we should we should mention for the January issue of National Review. Uh, before you leave, I want to go into some of what's in you tell us what's in there. But uh, also um, the the, uh, the piece um, about it's 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 not about free speech. It's about harassment, which folks could find at nationalreview.com. Um, and of course, that's all about the uh, three college professors that uh, were at the hearings, uh, one is gone, one got support today and she's staying. That, of course, the Harvard University uh, president, uh, Ms. Gay, who uh, has been accused of, uh, and it's been documented uh, uh, pretty well, I think, of uh, plagiarism, um, and among other things. Uh, talk about the, sh the shock. The, the, I mean, to, to sit, when, when I was sitting there and watching it, along with other decent people, it's not just me, I, I, and I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing when you, when you understand that at Harvard and other places, you get kicked out for calling somebody fat. And, and and here genocide against Jews. It well, it depends on the context and if it if it results in action. And da, 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 da. I mean, it was mind boggling. Yeah, and it was it was deliberately obtuse because we're we were only talking about action. We're not talking about an Algonquin roundtable that went wrong. <laughs> we're talking about harassment. The University of Pennsylvania, formerly led by Liz McGill, who has subsequently resigned and will resign shortly, is being sued by Jewish students who allege that they're being harassed with phrases like "you dirty Jew, don't look at us, keep walking, you dirty little Jew." Harvard students have been found on tape. You can go look up the videos where they're physically assaulting people who are just visibly Jewish, attacking them in lieu of any symbol of Israel, I suppose. Because uh, the Ivies aren't alone. Colleges across the country have been caught, you know, trying to shepherd Jewish students into the attic to avoid the braying mobs who are beating at their doors to try to find somebody they can use to exemplify their desire to quote globalize the intifada all this stuff is public record and to pretend as though this is all just speech and it's just a, a really a, a zealous brand of free expression betrays a either a lack of knowledge of what's going on on campus or b a willingness to cover it up and also a desire to shade their own codes of conduct in these respective universities that do not 
do not tolerate this kind of behavior from anybody else under any other circumstance. This is not about academic free expression. Nobody is making that claim on the side of those who want to see accountability in these institutions. They're talking about the policing of harassment that is not going maintained. It's just an apples and oranges conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, tell the folks uh, what they could find in the uh, cover story that you wrote for the January issue of uh, National Review. Thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, called The Great Unlearning. And I suppose the piece starts from a, a question. And the question is, why doesn't anything work anymore? It really doesn't seem like anything works anymore. Um, and it launches in, in particular, from this sort of bizarre, tragicomic spectacle that we were treated to from the Democratic administration when they entered into office and they were lectured by progressives who told them to forget the lessons of history, forget the 70s. It's not the 60s and the 70s anymore. The threat of uh, the kind of inflation that we experienced then is behind us. Those are ghosts that you're haunted by. You can spend and spend and spend with no consequence and have a, and maybe monetary policy will clean up afterwards. But fiscal policy can go nuts. And then inflation came back and they were so perplexed as to what to do about it. It's almost as though they didn't understand how to contain inflation, which is a confusion right. that's utterly unnecessary. The lessons of history tell us how to contain inflation and restore containment when it fails. And it's not just inflation. The governing of great American cities are bedeviled by problems that look very familiar to anybody who lived through the 1960s. I unfortunately was not among them, but I read enough about it to understand the kind of blight slum clearance programs, the decay, the decline of the eyes on the street that James Jacobs warned about, warned about. That's all apparent and visible in our current policy problems and restoring them is, is not impossible because we know how to do it. We've done it before. We decided to forget. And I make another point about the decline of uh, the Western canon, the effort to quote unquote, decolonize the Western canon. And in order to anathematize Western ideas, has uh, resulted in a societal decay. And it comes and it's concomitant with this other idea that this generation is the most enlightened generation that history has ever uh, you know, granted humanity. And so we've moved beyond <laughs> certain petty concepts like um, the, con the perennial contest of power between nation states and the anarchic international environment. We're all beyond that. That's, that's, that's foggy stuff. We're more enlightened than that, right? No. No, history mm -hmm. has become roaring back over the last couple of years, and we're so confused as to why it is and much less what to do about it, and we shouldn't be. The lessons of history were painfully taught to us over the course of generations. We bequeathed these lessons and subsequently discarded them in favor of nothing at all. And all of this is unnecessary. Yeah. I recommend a great remembering at the end of the great unlearning. Well, great. Well, I recommend everybody read the piece. And also uh, the book is The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun by Noah Rothman. Noah, always great, my friend. A lot of fun. Very uh, entertaining and informative. Thank you uh, very much. Have a great holiday. We'll speak to you again. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Talk soon. Take care. Take care. Noah Rothman, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we have uh, one final segment left in the hour. And so we're going to go away for a few minutes. Come back. I'm Steve Malzberg right here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, 
But upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. That's our fourth amendment. Thank heavens and the founders that we have it. Why? Well, let's look at Ireland. They're trying to ram through a bill before Christmas that would authorize the guardy to enter a house and seize any electronic devices they found if the government somehow found something objectionable, whether liking the wrong post on social media, making the wrong comment, or visiting the wrong website. That is the very definition of tyranny, and it's why we fought a war to throw it off. Hopefully, the Irish will figure out the importance of banning government intrusion like this before it's too late for them. And hopefully, we in the United States never lose sight of how important it is to keep the government at bay. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. You're with Steve Malsberg on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Don't forget, uh, follow me on Twitter at Steve M. Talk. Also, Malsberg Show, if you prefer. Um, there are many more uh, followers on Malsberg Show, but Steve M. Talk is easier to spell, and it's the same thing. I post everything, that you know, the same. So either way, uh, also Steve, uh, Facebook.com slash Steve M. Talk, uh, Instagram is Steve M. Talk. So let's get to um, the Speaker of the House talking about his meeting with Zelensky earlier today before Zelensky met with President Biden. Uh, and here is cut 141. Thank you all for being here. Uh, just had a good meeting with President Zelensky. I reiterated to him that we stand with him and against Putin's brutal invasion. Uh, the American people stand for freedom, and they're on the right side of this fight. I have asked the White House since the day that I was handed the gavel as speaker for clarity. We need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. And thus far, their responses have been insufficient. They have not provided us the clarity and the detail that we have requested over and over since literally 24 hours after I was handed the gavel as Speaker of the House. And so what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win, and, and none of the answers that I think the American people are owed. I have also made very clear from day one that our first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is about our own national security first. Now, that is a message that is simple. It's to the point. It will resonate. It is resonating, according to the polls that I referred to at the beginning of the show. How could you argue with any of that? Tell us what the goal is. Tell us what you envision. Tell us how long you think this will go. Tell us what you think the end will look like. Is that too much to ask for? And he has not gotten those answers. He has not gotten cooperation from the administration. He's the Speaker of the House. You're not getting the money unless you answer these questions. I mean, it's plain 
And it's simple. And oh, by the way, the millions and millions of people who have come into this country illegally under Joe Biden cannot be sustained. So you want to worry about Ukraine's border integrity? You want to worry about Taiwan's border integrity? How about our border integrity? Well, of course, this is exactly what Biden and the left want. The more illegals that come in, the better they, they think it is. Break down the, what it's doing to our city. See, this is the thing. They don't care. They don't even care that it's Democrat-run cities with majority minority populations or significant minority populations where many in those populations, not all, of course, because nothing's monolith and you can't categorize uh, 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 populations the way the left does. But many in those populations are rebelling and speaking out and saying, you can't you're, you're giving these illegal people all this stuff. What about us? And so it's but but they don't care. Even with all I just described, people living in the streets, people uh, being housed near schools or in school gymnasiums and in church. I mean, um, unimaginable circumstances in cities with minority populations that are disgusted. They don't care. They're out to ruin this country. Barack Obama despised America. Michelle Obama was never proud of her country until her husband ran for president. Nothing's changed. Chaos is good for them. Here's cut 142. The border is an absolute catastrophe. And this is because of the policies of this White House and this administration. We had 12,000 illegal crossings on one day last week alone, on Wednesday. We have uh, almost now 280 known terrorists that have been apprehended at the border. None of this counts the gotaways. If you add the numbers up, it's almost 7 million people who have been encountered at the border just since President Biden took office and at least 2 million gotaways. This is twice the population of my state of Louisiana. Fentanyl is the leading cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49 in this country. Fentanyl poisoning because it's allowed over the border. We have human trafficking and all the other terrible things. In the last three months, October, November, December alone, we've had more illegal crossings at the border than in any entire year during the Obama administration. The American people see this, they feel it acutely, they see all the terrible societal ills that come from this, and it must be addressed. Yeah, well, I just addressed it. I just addressed it. They don't care, not that they don't care, they like it this way. They like it this way. If you ask the dingbat, uh, uh, the Mamala Harris, um, by the way, her husband, who's Jewish, screwed up in his social media posting describing the meaning of Hanukkah. Screwed up so badly that he took it down. He doesn't know the meaning of Hanukkah. Usually what they do is like people like I think if I remember back to Obama and Biden, what they do is they mold it into what, what they wanted to represent. Oh, and on this time of Passover or this time of Hanukkah or this time of whatever. Oh, it just shows we have to do blah, blah. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You're, 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 you're prostituting it out. You don't know what it means. But the but Douglas, whatever his name is, the second first quadruple gentleman, whatever he is, who doesn't like ma toxic masculinity, 
Oh, he thinks that's a big problem, toxic masculinity. Um, he screwed it up. He had no idea what Hanukkah meant, what it was all about, what it showed, what it represented. So he took the post down. <laughs> you got to love that. You really, the incompetence, the insanity, you just got to love it. All right, uh, let's see real quick here if I could get 143 in. I believe I can. Here's 143. So I've made this very clear, again, from the very beginning, when I was handed the gavel, we needed clarity on what we're doing in Ukraine and how we'll have proper oversight of the spending of precious taxpayer dollars and the American citizens, and we needed a transformative change at the border. Thus far, we've gotten neither. Uh, the Senate has been MIA on this. The House passed H.R. 2 six months ago, more than six months ago. It's been sitting and collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk. I have told him personally, I've told the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, that these are our conditions because these are the conditions of the American people. And we are resolute on that. It is not the House's issue right now. The issue is with the White House and the Senate. And I implore them to do their job because the time is urgent and we do want to do the right thing here. With that, I'll-, I'll, I'll they're not going to do their job. They are doing their job. They're doing their job, uh, uh, taking the orders that have been given to them. This is what they want. And the reason I, I brought up Kamala before was if you ask Kamala about it, uh, not only will she say the border is secure, as Mayorkas, our Homeland Security Director, says the border is secure, 12,000 in one day. Um, but that, uh, oh, we have to get to the core reasons and why they come from Venezuela and here and there. It's just, it's just madness. Everything is screwed up. I Sometimes I, I end the show very often this way, you know, in a fit of frustration. This country is so screwed up. We're so screwed up in every way you could imagine. And if the Democrats and the progressives keep power, again, you won't know the United States of America. You may not know it now, but you'll never know it again if, if we don't change it at the ballot box. Okay, folks, you know the deal. You know the deal. Jason Olborn is next. I'm Steve Malsberg. God willing, we'll do it again tomorrow. Same time, 9 p.m. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Well, our own Mark Morano joins us tomorrow night back from the climate summit. <laughs> uh, that should be good right here on TNT Radio.